podcast. I'm Chris Tashew. And I'm Sean Liang. And we are joined today by film staff writer for Culture Shocked, Ben Hannig. Hey, everybody. Ben Hannig, otherwise known as man who hasn't seen very many movies. <laughs> oh, Ben. Yeah, you, yeah, you guys are... <laughs> Write me into a corner. I'm lately, I'm, so. op- I'm opening up your eyes to this whole new world. I know, right? It's a like new a, fantastic point of view. Something. It's crazy. <laughs> oh my! I'm God. with you, Ben. I feel like I haven't seen much of oh. either. So you know. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, well, um, today we're going to be talking about GoldenEye from 1995. It is Pierce Brosnan's first James Bond film. But before we get to talking about that film, have you guys been watching anything this week? Oh man, no, I. I think I've actually run myself out of shows, and I've just been keeping up with our stuff on the site. I haven't had really a chance to do much more. I was going to say, I watched Ex Machina for the site next month. Um, and I also watched, let's see what else. Oh, I watched this movie called Wakewood on Hulu, which I thought was actually surprisingly really good. But uh, yeah, I loved Ex Machina. <laughs> I'm excited. I still have not had a chance to see that one. It's good. It's surprisingly good. I didn't realize. I know we talked about this because I started watching it last week. Um, but it it's, it was directed by the guys that did um, 28 Days Later, and it totally has that like right. that really tense feeling. And I, it was really cool. I didn't expect it. I still need to watch it. I liked it. Um, I guess – I mean I'm going to echo you guys. I haven't watched anything either. I mean I, I've been sick. So I actually like had an opportunity to watch stuff, but instead of watching stuff, I've been just like sleeping. Yeah. So. <laughs> Sleeping and getting better, that's bullshit. Yeah, yeah right. Why aren't you fucking watching shit, bro? Slacker. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh my god. Uh well, I mean, if we haven't watched anything, let's let's talk about Goldeneye. Um so film was released in nineteen ninety five, directed by Martin Campbell. Uh stars Pierce Brosnan, Sean Bean, Isabella Skorupko, and Famke Jansen as uh Zenya Anatop. Uh, the IMDb synopsis for the film is James Bond teams up with the lone survivor of a destroyed Russian research center to stop the hijacking of a nuclear space weapon by a fellow agent formerly believed to be dead. When the world is the target. 72 hours ago, a secret weapon system was detonated over Saturnia. And the threat is real. GoldenEye exists. A radiation surge that destroys everything with an electronic circuit. You can still depend on one man. I want you to find Goldeneye. Three. Find who took it. Two. And stop it. One. The name's Bond. James Bond. The world's most famous secret agent is back. We aim to please. And this time, 007 is facing the ultimate enemy. The man who knows him best. Hello, James. What an unpleasant surprise. 006. What's the message? No pithy comment. Wow, it just gives away the twist right there in the synopsis. Shit. It just throws it out there. Um, yeah, but then again, I mean, like, I guess you got to see it coming. And then, like, he's the first billing. You kind of have to know. Yeah. <laughs> At least that was mine. That was Well, my and you've also played the video game, so you know. I, I actually only played the multiplayer that game. Oh, uh, okay. Um. So, um, starting with Ben, had mm-hmm. you seen this film before, and what are your thoughts? I had not. Um, as I've said in a couple of my reviews on the site, I really have only seen three James Bonds before this, um, and none of them were the Brosnan ones. So my knowledge were exclusively from just playing games at parties. Um, coming out of this one, I, lo- 
I liked it a lot. I definitely liked it better than uh, the one, the other one I watched this week. The world is not enough. Um, and I feel like I feel like Goldeneye had a better sense of pacing and like the scenes all kind of added together to do something. There wasn't just boat chase for boat chase, like shootout for no reason, but guns. Like everything seemed to kind of serve a purpose in this one, and that's that's definitely a bonus. What about you, Sean? Yeah, um, I had never seen this one either, and it's funny because I grew up, um, you know, I'm glad we finally got to a Pierce Brosnan Bond yeah. because I had I grew up with him as as Bond in my mind, and I had seen bits and pieces of some of his other movies because my dad would watch them, um, but I'd actually never seen Goldeneye, even though I played the multiplayer game like everyone else. It's like just a part of the 90s, you know? Um, and it was really cool to see like scenes or set pieces that were literally – in the game. And it, it's just weird because I come from like this totally opposite, you know, this completely opposite direction. I've played the game and I've seen it in a different, from a different perspective before, but I really liked it because it was such a great nineties campy movie. It was, it was very, <laughs> you know, it was, I, I loved Natalia's overreactions. I, I, I adored it. And I, and even Bond was such a, his, he, it was still, it was sort of like the, the end of the jokey Bond because you know, Daniel Craig, there's no jokes. Like, the jokes are pretty dry. So, uh, I don't know. I thought it was fun. Where he, I mean, his first line is hanging from the vent upside down. That's, that's great. Great visuals in this one. I really like this movie. Um, I know when we talked about License to Kill last week, I said that that was one of my favorites. This is one of my favorite Bonds as well. Just something about this is, like, it encapsulates the 90s in such a great way. But at the same time, it sets a stage for Pierce Brosnan to take over Bond. And, you know, Oscar said last week that this is Pierce Brosnan's James, best James Bond film. And I would have to agree, which is kind of, you know, disappointing considering how this is his first Bond film. And you could make the case that some of the other ones, um, you know, Tomorrow Never Dies or World Is Not Enough are better. And I know, Ben, you didn't like World Is Not Enough very much. Um, but... I think the villain in this film is great. I think the secondary villains are great. The Bond girl is great. And Pierce Brosnan, while this is his first turn as James Bond, he does a really good job of, of being James Bond. And normally it takes an actor one or two films to kind of settle into the role. Um, but I think he does a really good job in this film of, of settling into it pretty much immediately. Right, yeah. No, I know. I definitely agree. I mean, granted, I'm, we're probably all in the same boat that we're kind of biased from being 90s kids. Um that, like Sean says, you know, Pierce was my Bond, even though I never watched him. Like, that was who I pictured. Um, and no, I knew when I was watching The World Is Not Enough that he was not the problem in that movie. And that was kind of the most disappointing part, was because I really wanted to like the movie, and I wanted to like him as Bond. Um, so I, I think this really shows off what he could do and why he was picked for the role. Oddly enough, I was talking about the uh this string of movies with some friends earlier this week and one of my friends my old roommate was like oh i never got pierce brosnan like i didn't think he was handsome enough to be bond and i don't know where that comes from yeah i don't get that right like he's got that that smirk and that look that is inviting and you get why he's engaging to people so i mean he's like i thought he was like the turn of like we go from like handsome, sexy Bond to like sex Bond. Like that's where we switched this. You know what I mean? Like now, <laughs> right. that's what Daniel Craig is now, and I get that now. But that's I thought that Pierce Brosnan was like the first turn, especially in contemporary handsomeness. I guess. <laughs> yeah, he's no Sean Connery, but I mean, who the hell is right? <laughs> Sean Connery. 
Yeah. <laughs> Can't um, I really like Pierce Brosnan as Bond. Um, especially in this film, and obviously, you know, like like we've said, it, it maybe might be diminishing returns for some, but um, his Bond is kind of a mix of everything up until this point. Um, right. He's got, like, the swagger of Sean Connery, a little bit of the darkness of Dalton, and then there is the camp in there of um, Roger Moore, and then, you know, the I guess the good looks of George Lazenby, um, the traditional good looks of George Lazenby. Um and I think they all kind of mesh together in Goldeneye to make Pierce Brosnan as Bond. Because, I mean, there's that dark aspect, but it, it's still – it's a pretty light movie, um, I think. I think it's still a pretty light film. Yeah. Oh, um, God. Yeah. I mean, it's no, like, Quantum of Solace or anything. Or, yeah. li- or License to Kill, where in the first ten minutes of the movie, a woman is raped and then her husband's leg is eaten off by a shark. Yeah, yeah. So. Oh, oh, my God. <laughs> wow. That's right. I yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Well, let's um let's let's break the, the film down a little bit. So, what did you guys think of the pre-credits scene uh, with Bond and Trevelyan, played by the always dead in some form or fashion, Sean Bean, <laughs> infiltrating right. infiltrating the Archangelisk weapons factory that's supposedly for some reason built on a dam. <laughs> what, what did you guys think of that pre-credit scene? Oh man, I I loved that. Like, I was sad that that was only as long as it was because it was just it was like i said that like stupid 90s action camp but still like kind of heavy and of course you start off on the dam and i'm getting like n64 like time splitter flashback and like oh (laughs) shit this is where it begins and i was just ready for it so that's so funny you know it's like you said before ben it's like it's the first time i felt like a a bungee jump was like an appropriate thing (laughs) <laughs> to do you know what i mean it wasn't just like we need someone to for example this isn't like um what was the, the howling to what was it what do we watch where they bungee jump off the eiffel tower for no good reason oh god um <laughs> american werewolf in paris that's right that's oh, what <laughs> yeah yeah so i mean like this one had a good reason and it, and it felt like you know like it it felt right even though it, it's still ridiculous but it's just so cool right and having two having two agents like working together isn't something that seems like the film series does a whole lot so there was some really nice off play between like 007 and 006 and yeah that was novel and i wish there was more of that you know what cracks me up is that this pre-credit scene takes place in the 80s um which like completely shows that this film is like a reboot of the series. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, because obviously if Bond is Brosnan in the '80s, you know, then he's Bond in the '90s, and this is just a reboot. And Timothy Dalton's Bond that ended with License to Kill. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love the pre-credit sequence. It's one of my favorite pre-credit sequences in in Bond in the Bond canon, especially when he drives off the runway and jumps into the plane that's oh my god it's so good oh, that was awesome <laughs> yeah right it it starts the film off right in in it starts the film off with that like big boisterous opening that has kind of been lacking in some of say like the Roger Moore films license to kill had a really good one um but like a view to a kill like that was pretty lame. Some of the other ones were pretty lame, but this was pretty great. I mean, jumping into a plane, flying, I mean, it's, it's great. It's really good. It just sets everything up. I mean, because, yeah, you've got these big, stupid, like, motorcycle into a plane kind of 
nonsense, but you've also got, like, we're killing people, like, this is, you know, big spy work. Like, it sets up all the pieces that you kind of need to know about Bond in just a couple of minutes. Yeah, yeah. And also, it, it sets up what is later revealed to be the, the, the big kind of twist in the movie. I guess it's a twist. I wouldn't say it's much of a twist, but, you know. Right. I, yeah. I, I think in this day and age, it's not a twist. True, yeah. Um, what did you guys think of the song by Tina Turner that was written by Bono and The Edge? Right. <laughs> that was a surprise. I'm trying to – I haven't heard – I didn't hear it since, like, last week, but I'm pretty sure that's the one that I loved. Hold on. Yeah, I love this song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's pretty great. I mean, um, I don't know. It's not my favorite one they've ever used, but I'm kind of a sucker for – um. oh, what was the one that – McCartney did. I said, Live and let die. Live and let die. Or, <laughs> yes. You know, when you get, I'm, I'm going to go back to the couple I have seen. Um, you know, when they signed, uh, Jack White to work on Quantum Solace. Like, I like that one too. But this one is, again, very kind of classic in its pomp and circumstance, but it's yeah. trying to be sultry and it's just good. It, yeah, it kind of like, harkens back to up. like the, yeah, absolutely. Well, that's the thing. I, I mean, the, um, there were a couple people that were offered the, the ability to do the song. So they offered it to the Rolling Stones and they turned it down. Um, then, the ever famous uh, band Ace of Bass um, oh, made a version of the song that's actually pretty good. Um, that they ended up just releasing without without the title "Goldeneye" and changed the lyrics. Um, it's actually pretty good. It's called "The Juvenile." Um, and then Tina Turner would do this song, obviously. But I think it really does harken back to like Goldfinger and Man with the Golden Gun. It, it feels like a very classic James Bond song. Mm-hmm. In a way that you would need if you're essentially rebooting the franchise because it's gotten stale, which is what I feel like this film is, is a reboot of the series. It's, yeah, it's kind of a soft reboot. I can yeah. do that. Yeah, it, it naturally feels like it. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So let's uh let's talk a little bit about the the players in the film. So we've talked already about uh, Pierce Brosnan as Bond. Uh, I asked Oscar this last week, Ben, and since you've uh, watched some Bond films uh, and you're a little bit more familiar with Bond this month, who would you say is your favorite Bond and your least favorite Bond? Having seen pretty much all of them, I think, except for George Lazenby. Right. I haven't seen Lazenby. Um. So I'm pretty revved up to do that once the month wraps up and I can get all the other DVDs from my friend who's loaning them out to me. Um, I think, you know, as far as favorites go, I have to give it to Connery because he just has that like perfect mix of everything. And just, I don't know. I like the kind of like down to earth classiness that his movies do without getting into being overly gritty. Like the new ones are Um, not that there's necessarily anything wrong with the new ones. They're all right, but I, I think he he was the first Bond, and he really sets up everything else that everybody else does. Um, with I like that he can be kind of playful without being completely over the top. I mean, Roger Moore is fun, but I think he goes a little too much for the like, haha, pun here, haha, one liner, like, oh look at me do this thing. So um, yeah, I'm gonna give it to Connery. Brosnan at this point might be my lowest, but again, I've only seen two movies with him, and one was pretty damn good the other was okay and i don't think that either of those were his fault so i don't know but connery takes home yours for best of the month oh yeah easy easy and i think connery i I, you know i think connery's 
performance really has stood the test of time for a reason. Right. Um, you know, if we're still talking about Connery, you know, 60 years later <laughs> as yeah, the sure. as the best James Bond, I mean, he must have done something right. Yeah. Um, let's um so let's let's talk a little bit about um some of the people that aren't Bond in this film. What did you guys think of Sean Bean who auditioned to play James Bond in Living Daylights, mind you? Um yeah. what did you guys think of Sean Bean as Alec Trevelyan? 006. Honestly, I want to be I want to start with this one cuz honestly I didn't feel I thought he was great, but <clears throat> excuse me. I thought he was great, but he uh didn't seem to I don't know, it, it, other than the fact that it was a big betrayal I felt like he wasn't doing much, you know, like I didn't get to do as much until the end, of course, which was a great, I loved the fight scene at the end. That was so epic and over like so grandiose. (laughs) But um, up until that point, like we, all we have is this betrayal that we have against him that, that we kind of get from the beginning of the movie. But I I think he didn't seem to do as much as Ormoff or um, uh, as, or as I even say his name, right. Or um, on a top, you know, they're, they're the ones who are doing the dirty work and that you, you get the real action from. So I don't know. I, liked him but it was only for that last scene i i think i like him all the way through i think he was a good fit for being both kind of the best friend and the mastermind villain um i i think like the twist to his backstory was given out a little too like one right after the other like we're gonna explain this group of people and then like oh guess what i'm one of those people like <laughs> that was not super great um and i agree like his his plan is pretty i mean as is pointed out by bond is kind of freaking stupid it's just like i'm gonna shut down the banks and make a bunch of money oh or whatever <laughs> like okay that's okay, but um, no, I, I like him a lot. He definitely chews the scenery, and he gravitates all the scenes to himself well. Um, I wish he was just a little more menacing or had a little bit more purpose in whatever his diabolical schemes were, you know? So, but overall, not, I, I, I don't think I gotta lay into him too hard. Yeah, I mean, it's like, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I completely agree. I feel like, you know, in any Bond film, this one notwithstanding, you know, all the Bond villains, their fucking ideas and their plots are so stupid and just like over the top and ridiculous. And, you know, you can always just like poke holes in them, right? Pretty easily. Right. Um, but, you know, I think outside of kind of the ridiculousness of what he's trying to do, I feel like his performance is pretty great. He, you know, he doesn't do, like you said, Sean, he doesn't do as much as, you know, maybe Fran Sanchez did last week in License to Kill. Um, and he doesn't, which is kind of a bummer because, I mean, you have an able-bodied actor like Sean Bean who could have been doing all kinds of really, you know, crazy stuff. Exactly. And I feel like if I were to say to someone, Sean Bean's in this movie, they would go see it for him. You know what I mean? Like, so it's kind of strange that he just, I mean, that, like I said, that last scene is pretty damn epic, but you know, you kind of miss out on it. I don't, I I don't know if I'd be disappointed. I, yeah, maybe I would be a little, to be completely honest. Like there, if I was going to see a movie just for this actor, especially because it is, he's a big name. And I know that like people Mm -hmm. have said that's the one with Sean Bean. It's like he, I would want to see more. I would want to see him take over, uh, you know, some of his hitman's work, you know? I don't know. Maybe that's just my preference also, like, out of what I want out of a villain or whatever, but... I mean, maybe... Like, yeah, he could definitely yeah. do more dirty work. Um, and, and I don't want to say that, like... I think my problem is that his plot is, like, his his big thing is too... Like, it's not super grounded. It's kind of weak, it's yeah. not, like, I'm going to make a space laser out of diamonds and fire it. 
Like he, he, the way they scripted him was too in the middle. Um, and yeah, I agree. Maybe if he could have like gotten his hands dirty a little earlier, that would have been pretty exciting. Well, I think that, I think that the twist of this movie actually works against the film, um, by having the big reveal being that Giannis, the main villain in the film is, you know, Sean Bean. And you don't know that until like halfway through the film. Right. Um, and I think that that being the case where, you know, you think he dies at the beginning and you see that he dies and obviously he doesn't die. Um, you know, and then it turns out that he's the main villain at the end. You know, I think that it works against the film because you don't get to see him for half the film because they're trying to, you know, convince you that he's not the bad guy or that he's dead. Exactly. No, that's true. That's totally true. That, that's a good point. Even though they put his name first in the credits, but um, yeah, because that threw me off. I was like, oh, man, he, he made it through that one way or another. I, I was kind of hoping he would get like Winter Soldier or something, right? Where like, it's yeah. not just, oh, I have a scar on my face, but like he's like part robot or like just something ridiculous. And then he could be it could be worth him not being there half the time. But yeah, maybe it was just the reveal that was 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 weak or that wasn't strong enough for me to to make up for it i don't know but yeah it just felt it, i mean he wasn't in this, i'm not saying he's the worst villain at all it's just yeah. that with a name like sean bean especially at the time i just would expect to see them in more of the bigger set pieces you know well and i think that i think you know this is kind of like what happened with license to kill you know last week where i think it's looking back on the fact that it's sean bean not yeah. you know not on the fact that it was sean bean of the 90s sean bean this is sean bean of you know game of thrones sean bean now boromir lord of the Rings, sean bean so now he's a big deal in the 90s he wasn't like you know That's, yeah what he is now um yeah. what did you guys think of uh the bond girls Played by Isabella Skorupko and Famke Jansen. Um, I I fuck I will die for Natalia. <laughs> so funny. I I just loved her so much. Oh yeah, no, she was she was great, and she actually she was believable and like involved in the plot as opposed to uh, what's her name trying to be a Laura Croft knockoff in Absolutely. the world's not enough. Like yeah, no, I was sitting there and. Seeing her go through things, I'm like, okay, yeah, this is what we do with the new age Bond girl. Like, exactly. this is quality stuff. Um, as far as Zenya's concerned, I wasn't a big fan, but that was because she was kind of awkward and weird and just like too much of a like. My name is on a top. Ha 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 ha. Exactly. Like, <laughs> like they they really played her off as one note. And it got old pretty quick for me. I gotta say, I did like the fact that she was some sick psychopath as well. Like she was, she was definitely. Whenever she was like, she liked to be hurt. Like there was some sadomasochism going on with her. I thought that was pretty funny and enjoyable. And I'm sure for some guys, they would love that. <laughs> she seems to be a, a hot pick. If that's what they call them these days. Sure. <laughs> that's what you call them. Sure. <laughs> um, I like Natalia. A lot. Um, I think that she's kind of up there with um, Pam Bouvier from License to Kill for yeah. Bond girls. She can kind of hold her own against Bond, and she calls him out on his bullshit right. like a number of times, which is really good to see that a Bond girl isn't just complacent uh, like they were in the you know fifties and or the sixties and seventies. Yeah. Um, but I'm I'm with Ben. I feel like Zenyana Top is just such a wasted opportunity. Um, <laughs> 
And she does exist for that name chuckle alone, yeah. as opposed to actually bringing something interesting to the plot. And the way she kills people, it's just clearly a joke, you know? Yeah, right? Like, she squeezes them to death during sex. Ha ha ha! How useful is that? They, they show that off, like, you know, she goes for it once on Bond, and it's like, oh, well, nice try, though. Now you're screwed. <laughs> I, I, I'll give you, Sean, I like that she was just kind of, like, psychotic and crazy, I yeah. think that's an interesting twist to a henchman that's just like, nah, I'm some crazy chick that just likes murdering people in funny, weird ways. That's my thing. But <laughs> other than that, kind of replaceable. Yeah, and, and that's and that's my kind of main issue is that she doesn't do enough to matter in the kind of grand scheme of the film. Yeah. Um, and I don't see why she would be brought in by this guy, you know? like I guess because she could infiltrate places that he couldn't. I mean, that's the thing. It's just she's, like, practically useless in the film. She doesn't even do much of anything other than secure the helicopter at the beginning of the film. Yeah. I mean, she um, shoots people and stuff. <laughs> and I did show her boobies, but yeah. <laughs> other than that, she turned the key. She turned that key the first time. Right, right. Um <laughs> What did you guys think of Godfrey John as Oromov, General Oromov? It was scary. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Like, he, that first, when they massacred that base, like, I mean, that was pretty intense. I thought that was, I was like, well, I was like, okay, I get it. Like, that's frightening. Um, yeah. But again, like, he's just another filler until we get to Sean Bean to me. I, I think I like him more than that. I, I, think I mean, the- I, I like him more than... Uh, on the top for sure, but yeah, I, you know. That's yeah, awesome. I think he does his job well enough, but maybe maybe I just missed something. But I wasn't really sure why he was following being like what his motivation was to being like second banana when he clearly was pretty skilled at like both manipulating the other like Russian hierarchs and just flat out killing people. Like, <laughs> why why isn't he masterminding himself? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I feel like Aramov as a character is just another kind of blank slate that doesn't really go anywhere. And you're just kind of like, I don't know why he's with Sean Bean because like he doesn't really need him because he's clearly like a competent soldier on his own. So why would he need to be taking orders from, you know, a turned MI6 agent? Money. Money. (laughs) Because he's old. I don't know. Right, they don't even offer an explanation. So yeah. Um, and but before we talk about some of Bond's pals in the film, the the other kind of villain, and you know, I would say he's a villain, I guess. Um, Alan Cumming as Boris. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I mean, yeah, exactly. He, he he also doesn't do a whole lot more than like haha butt joke and like I'm crazy '90s hacker, but. He just does it so well, man. Yeah, you know, when you see Alan Cumming, you know the kind of character. It's going to just be some ridiculously very character. And and I think that's the best way. I mean, because he's like the best comedic relief in this movie. Like, he's he's just campy enough. He's just villainous enough. He looks like a cartoon character. I mean, it's great. And I I actually love that they made him a villain. Yeah. I was so down on the like you know um him and natalia like teaming up and then being a thing and then it's like oh well maybe not right oh that's actually pretty brilliant like (laughs) i'll I'll run with that that's cool yeah i like that twist i like that twist a lot that little betrayal well and i i feel like they needed a lighter villain in this film than just you know Trevelyan and on a top and arm of they needed something to kind of bring the a little bit of lightness to the film 
And yeah, I think right. that he does a pretty good job of that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And then he, I mean, he always, he, you know, I am invincible and, you know, he doesn't, you know, you know, it, it's, that's one of the more memorable parts of the film for most people. So, yeah. um, what did you guys think of uh, Judy Dench as M? Obviously, this is the first time a woman would play the role of M in the history of Bond films, which was kind of uh, it was a big deal when they announced that she was going to be playing M in the film. What did you guys think of her? Again, what do you, what do you say? It's Judy Dench, man. She's yeah, awesome. She, she, she continues to be awesome, and you see why she was. And the fact that she's liter- she's in one of her first scenes able to call out Bond and be like, you are a dated dinosaur masochist pig. I'm here to keep you in line. It's like, yes, you are. Yes. I don't know. I love her. It's great. Yeah, I think she's a great addition. I think that I, it's funny because I noticed that this was the first time it would be a, a woman playing. And, and mm-hmm. I'm so, I was so glad, obviously, that it was her. She's a, She was amazing. The way, like you said, that whole little argument that they go back and forth, that speech she gives him. It's just so beautiful that, that the way she words it, she just puts him right in place in the in the sense that it kind of makes us all trust her. You know what I mean? And and the right. way she her character develops throughout the um, from there on out, I really love. I, I've grown to really love Judy Dench as in. And you know, I think it I think it was important for kind of the longevity of the series to introduce a female authority figure for Bond. Exactly. And obviously, I mean, now, you know, uh, in Inspector, you know, she's she's gone because she she dies in Skyfall. Um, But they've gone back to a male character as the authority figure, which it could work. You know, I mean, it's Ray Fiennes. But I think that the the kind of the back and forth between a female authority figure and Bond was always way more interesting than his back and forth with a male authority figure. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's something, there was like some interesting things in the original ones, but it kind of came down to kind of just a mad men style, like men's club. Exactly. And and I think that she added a nice dynamic and now I'm sad because I forgot that she actually died in Skyfall and I haven't seen Spectre. So that's more disappointment. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you watch Spectre, you're going to be disappointed one way or another. So <laughs> I'm hearing, and I'm already, I'm already crying for myself a little bit. But yeah. we'll get there in time. Yeah, I think there's something to say though about how you know, just as much as Bond evolves, so do so do his counterparts, and I think that it's mm-hmm. it was so important at the time because even I mean, like even Money Penny, uh, even Money Penny. Um, has even a little bit more of a stern uh, the the, the um, exchange between the two of them in the beginning of this movie I thought was really interesting like it's the first time she kind of says like sooner or later you're gonna have to act on your on these innuendos that you're throwing at me she's like she's a really interesting character I really like the relationship between um, him and Money Penny and now with M because you have to have you know especially with the times changing you have to have that female pushback and I think that. It's made the Bond such a much more complex character, and that's why he's changed so much. And it's, I think it's awesome. I think it's really cool to see that dynamic. Yeah, and you know, um, Samantha Bond as Miss Moneypenny, I think she's one of the better parts of the film uh, in regards to kind of the people that play off of Bond. Um, because like you said, there is that pushback. Yeah. Um, but I think for me, personally, the character that sticks out to me as my favorite kind of person that's associated with Bond in the film is Robbie Coltrane as Valentin Zukovsky. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Right? I mean, on top of the fact that I'm not a huge fan of Harry Potter, but I always like the character of Hagrid. Um, you know, Robbie Coltrane, I mean, in this movie, it, he gives Bond a run for his money. 
Yeah. Yeah. And it, it definitely, like, I really wanted to like it and the world is not enough. So when they're having this like back and forth, I'm like, okay. So when I go back, like, there's going to be a reason that I actually am enjoying this character. It and seeing him set up here, it's like, oh, well, there you go. Like, this is so great. Because he's sort of a battle of wits, but he's sort of, but he's also not quite at Bond level. And I think that's just really funny and entertaining to watch him, like, try and keep up, but only just. Yeah, exactly. Only just. <laughs> So what did you guys think of, I guess we've talked about this already a little bit and chided it a little bit, um, Sean Bean's master plan to use a EMP satellite to knock out the banks in Britain and then steal all the money, including all the criminal records and everything else, like he like he points out in the film. I, why? Like, that's some Keystone Cops bullshit. Like... Yeah, <laughs> I wanted him to do something big and nonsense. And when he's got this like backstory that's like, not only was I betrayed by Bond, but I was betrayed by like both my home country and what I hoped to be like the country that would save me. Like I was hoping he was going to do some big like okay, not quite to the level that they go with Skyfall in Revenge, but like something like that where he's like, no, I'm taking down England. Like shit's going down. Not just like, I just going to take some money and clear my name. Like, Oh, he had so much more potential to do something awesome or just fucking ridiculous and dumb and hilarious. Well, the crazy thing to me is that with a pulse like that, it's literally something that they say in the movie that could totally wipe out civilization. Like it would like, so it's like, right. to me, what do you want money for? <laughs> like, it, you want revenge. Like, that's really what we want. And why are we like, it's almost some, you know, because like, like you said, they kind of shoehorned, it's not shoehorned, but we find out like sort towards like the, you know, very end, or I guess we don't find it, but it's like, it's made clear that, you know, he's got this vengeance that could have been so much more propelling than stealing money for a post-apocalyptic world. That was literally his introduction when he comes back from the dead and he explains like, oh, this is who I am, like, this is what my parents were. Yeah. And, and then they tell you what his master plan is. Yeah. <laughs> no, he totally, he totally could have just been like, now nah, I'm just going to, like, knock out all the electricity in the world, like, suck to suck, bitches. I'm right? going to be technocrat. I'm brooding about it, so. <laughs> right. But now it's just to get some cash on the side. <laughs> <laughs> I I actually really agree. You know, as much as um as much as I like this film, I feel like Trevelyan's plot to for you know for mass destruction is just so wonky and just so and just so, it, you know, it would have been interesting if the laser Goldeneye had been like a laser that could destroy stuff. Instead, it's just like an EMP, so you can. It's so kind of just eh. It falls so flat in comparison yeah. to the rest of the film. I mean, Goldeneye is still a, like a spectacular weapon, but he's using it for such a limp like reason. <laughs> like he's putting it to almost literally its least amount of work, right? Outside of like, I need to wipe my ex girlfriend's phone so she stops texting me. <laughs> like. How much lower could he go? No, I can I completely agree. It just doesn't it doesn't fit with the rest of the film's tone and kind of the grandiose nature of the film to yeah. have him just be like, I want to steal money. And like you said, Bond calls him on it towards the end of the film. He's like, You're just a common thug, dude. Like you're yeah. just a common criminal. Um speaking of the end of the film, what did you guys think of the big climactic set piece on <laughs> the giant satellite dish? 
Oh, that's that's great. Yeah, yeah like they, I said, it definitely builds up to that moment, and it definitely is a great payoff. <laughs> Especially because I'm terrified of heights. Like, I mean, I thought that that whole like that those last few minutes were quite tense. <laughs> I was sweating. <laughs> I was gonna say like there's a there's a good back and forth right like um like Bean's got him on the edge and he's gonna like stomp him off but then he falls and is like hanging on to Bond and there's just it, it was it wasn't like some crazy like raid level choreography but it was it was sound it was exciting well and there's also you know um a fair amount of suspense and tension with the fact that they're hanging on the giant you know center of this satellite dish. I mean, that adds the tension pretty much there is that, you know, one of the characters could go plummeting to their death immediately. Yeah. Um, which I, I think works really well for the end of the film. And it's kind of disappointing considering how the, you know, the, the reason that they're fighting there is so kind of, eh. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But you know, there are a lot of other really great set pieces in the film, like the chase through Moscow with the tanks. Um, <laughs> The initial um, chase scene in the between Bond and Onatop in the cars is also pretty great. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I think, you know, this film has a lot of really good action set pieces, too. Absolutely. I think the I mean, even the fight choreography, like I like like I said before, I mean, when he um, he like dives headfirst down the stairs, like I thought that was like really cool. But this movie sort of like in revamping the series, it, it definitely brings it into the modern action film, like where there's a lot of big set pieces and a lot of fighting. Yeah. And and I think it does it in the right way. Yeah. Which I, I mean, I think I said already just on this podcast, but, um, you know, all the set pieces kind of add to each other and you see like why he's doing that. There's not like, cause I remember when I booted up the world is not enough and it's opening scene with like the, the water chase and I was just watching it like why like this is clearly just happening because that somebody in the room was like hey wouldn't it be cool if like they like chased each other through the bay and speeder boats like that'd be great (laughs) and that was it whereas each of these like it was like you know we got to get away from this mission or like the even the the or the initial car race was just like kind of showing them you know just kind of matching each other and also him trying to rile money penny up so like they all served a purpose and that's that's the most important thing i think in a scene in a fight scene in an action scene it's so easy to write just like something that's exciting and cool to watch but if it doesn't add substance then what good really is it (laughs) unless your entire point of the movie is just things exploding explosions and then Michael, uh, Michael Bay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I, I feel like everything in this film really does serve a purpose, even if the kind of, uh, even if some of the stuff really is lackluster, like the, the plot of the film. <laughs> yeah. um, well, um, we can't all be winners. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> starting with Ben, skip it or watch it in best performance. Um, I definitely say watch it. Um, I know. When I was talking about it, I had a lot of friends that were like, oh, you know, you're not going to like it that much. Like, you're just looking at it through the video game, like, through rose-tinted eyes. Eh. But it actually is pretty good. I, I really like GoldenEye. Like, I had misplaced my hopes in Brosnan, and now I'm excited to see the other ones I haven't and see kind of where everything stacks between them. So Don't get excited for Die Another Day. Just letting you know. Yeah. Just don't. <laughs> just don't. That's sad. But um, I, I'm I'm putting myself at that level where it's like, okay, they might not be great, but they'll hopefully they'll be within a range of GoldenEye. Probably not as good, but if it's at least like half as good, 
you know, I don't feel bad for watching the world is enough, but I just hope the other ones are kind of more in the middle there. Uh, best out of everybody in this one, um, I'll give it to uh, Skrupko for Natalia. I she didn't. I don't think she was necessarily the best thing in the movie, but I think she was the most novel, and she did her part well. And like you said, she was a Bond girl that was willing to call him on his shit. So she she transcended what that role could have been. So as much as I like Judy Dench's M, I think she was written to be just awesome, and it would have been great either way. What about you, Sean? Yeah, I think definitely if you've lived through the '90s, you definitely have to watch this movie. It's definitely a staple of that that time. And it's it, it. I'm like I said, I, Pierce Brosnan is my. It will always be Bond to me in my mind, just because that's what I grew up with. Um, so it, it's full of nostalgia. Um, and it's it's definitely it's definitely worth it. It's it's a fun, entertaining movie, even if its plot is a little weak and shaky. <laughs> it's definitely fun to watch. Um, um, as for my favorite performance, I was totally going to give that to um, Scrubco as well. Uh, I loved Natalia so much in this movie, just the over the top. I mean, she adds to the camp too, in such a great way in such a like seamless way. Um, but and I won't even say Judy Dench from here on out because she's going to be like one of my favorites. Um, but I really, I gotta say that, um, Miss Money Plenty stood out to me in a really special way this time. And I, I, you know, Samantha Bond was great. Um, so I gotta, I, even though it was a small part, I loved her and I will give her best performance in this movie. <laughs> Uh, for me, it's a definite watch. Obviously, you know, just this is one of my favorite Bond films. I watch it probably once a year um, without prompting. Uh, so, you know, without having to watch all the James Bond films in, in one month. Um, but it, it's it's definitely just one of those films that I always just come back to. I mean, everything about it is so iconic. The beginning, the I mean, the music is just so great, too, on top of everything else. Yeah. It's so minimalist in, like, the best way. Um, and then, you know, you have Pierce Brosnan as Bond. So, you know, for me, it's a total watch. And best performance, you know, since everyone else kind of skipped over it, I'm going to have to give it to Sean Bean as Trevelyan. I mean, I still think he's a cool villain, even if he doesn't get the screen time that he deserves. And that's totally the case. He doesn't. Um mm-hmm. And that's just from the way the that's just the way the film is set up, unfortunately. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a, it's a total watch. And, and Sean Bean, what did you guys think the score is on Rotten Tomatoes for the film? Oh, this is critics, right? Yeah. Oh, critics, not user. Yeah, critics, not user. Okay, I said if user, I put it way higher. Uh, seventy. Okay, I'm gonna say fifty-eight. Seventy-eight percent. The first and best Pierce Brosnan Bond film, Goldeneye brings the series into a more modern context, and the result is a 007 entry that's high-tech, action-packed, and urbane. Look at that. Urbane. 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 Look at that. (laughs) Yeah, he doesn't have all the – I mean, he has wacky gadgets in this movie, but they're not as wacky, so. Yeah, I was going to point that out. Like, at first, I was a little turned off by, like, the the rappelling gun and the bomb in the pen, but (laughs) – He's done worse a lot later, so, you know, all in all, it was, tech didn't bother me. <laughs> what do you guys think the audience review score is? I'd shoot an 85. Yeah, I feel like it'd be higher than what I thought the critics was, so I'm going to say, like, let me say 74. 70, actually, hold on. Mm. 
83% out of 284,000 reviews. Oh, man. Dang. Yeah, it's pretty good. I would think that people would think of this movie fondly. Right? Well, yeah, and especially our generation. Well, yeah. Yeah, our generation for sure. Um, Adoy. Because we all own the N64 game. Yeah, right. We all played it on N64. (laughs) Yeah, we've all lost friendships over that game. (laughs) Right. Uh, um, Before I talk about this Thursday's final podcast of James Bond January, Sean and Ben, is there anything you guys want to plug? I would say nothing for me, just as usual, Seanifer on Twitter and Sean Liang on Facebook. Yeah, I don't think I have anything to plug. I mean, I've got one more this Friday coming out, but other than that, no. And I don't <laughs> Twitter, so I can't even do that. <laughs> well, uh, you can follow me on Twitter, Culture Stash. Uh, and if you uh, you like what you're hearing now, we have a whole boatload of podcasts over at CultureShock.com, along with written movie reviews, uh, video game reviews, and a little bit of wrestling as well. This Thursday, we're going to be joined by Mike White from the Projection Booth podcast to talk Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace, the final two films of James Bond January and the first two Daniel Craig James Bond films. Uh, Big thanks to you, Ben, for sitting down and talking Goldeneye with us, opening your eyes up to some uh, good Pierce Brosnan Bond films. Some gold, if you will. Pure gold, yeah. (laughs) 